0: For our scripture reading today, we're reading from Galatians chapter five, verses 26, through Galatians chapter six, verse five. So if you have your bulletins, you will see that we only have there printed, Galatians six, one through five. Then I encourage you then to look in your Bibles, the Bibles that you have in front of you, because there is one verse. From chapter 5 that is included in our scripture reading and is is important for what we will be studying today. So Galatians 5, um, verse 26, and we'll continue through Galatians 6, verse 5. That might answer a question that you may have of why we didn't talk about this verse last week. So here is the answer because it's part of what we are reading today. This is the word of God. Let us know, become, conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch of yourself, on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been so merciful and gracious to us, giving us the Holy Spirit to have understanding of spiritual things and revealing yourself to us through your word and revealing things that are deep in our souls that explain many of the struggles that we have as believers we thank you that you use somebody like paul who um, shared this with his brothers and sisters in galatia and how this letter has impacted generations of christians until today and we pray lord as we consider these verses that you will speak to our hearts that you will renew our minds that you will help us to see some things that are in our souls that we need to deal with and that you will help us to grow in our faith and understanding of the gospel and our sanctification we thank you all these things in jesus name amen Last week, we studied verses 16 through 25 of chapter 5, and the topic or the theme of these verses was this spiritual war that happens within every Christian, the war between the flesh and the spirit, the war between our sinful natures, our fallen natures that we inherited from our fathers, our parents, Adam and Eve, and the Holy Spirit that is within every Christian that is fighting this war inside us. And you might think that this might sound like bad news, like then we become Christians and we have a war within. Before we were no Christians, we didn't have that war. So maybe it was better as we were before the thing is that when we were no believers or before you become a believer, you don't realize that you are no in communion with the creator of everything that exists and that God who created you, created you to worship him. You were created for his glory. Therefore, we who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ for salvation have the great privilege if, of being in communion with God through what the Holy Spirit have done and continue to do in our lives now when we look at this war within the war between the spirit and the flesh we know that there is victory in the spirit of God that we are victorious because the spirit of God is the one who is doing this work in our hearts now this war happens within us in our souls Is the challenge between the flesh and the spirit. But it is manifested externally as we interact with people around us. Something like that we can see when, if you look at chapter 5, and we read verse 13 through 14, you see that Paul says this, Only do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled, or the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There we are seeing a clear contrast that Paul is presenting to us. On the one hand is when you are moved through your flesh, this is what he, what he is warning you that do not use your freedom, the freedom that you have in Christ, as an opportunity to, dig, to give freedom to your flesh. So you just follow the desires of your flesh that are dishonoring to God. Instead, this is what you are called to do. You are called to love and serve one another. So the contrast here is that the fruit of the Spirit is loving and serving one another. And the fruit of the flesh is the opposite. Remember we learned from previous verses last week that... The spirit the desires of the spirit are against the flesh and the desires of the flesh the flesh are against the spirit therefore if the fruit of the spirit is to love and serve one another because the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your, your neighbor as yourself then the flesh the fruit or the work of the flesh is not to serve and not to love one another so here is the tension The Holy Spirit is moving your heart towards serving the members of the body of Christ and loving them, and your flesh is preventing you from doing so. That's the tension in which we are as Christians. The Holy Spirit is moving you towards serving and loving your neighbor and your flesh, who is working in opposition to the Spirit, Is preventing you or don't want you to do that. Don't want you to serve and to love your neighbors. Now, what is the connection between this and that? This, what I just said, and that, what I'm going to say, and this is the theme. Here, Paul gives us at least three things that are important. The first one, he teaches us about one of our common weaknesses, that our flesh uses to oppose the fruit of the Spirit in loving and serving one another. <laughs> I'm going to read it again because it's a long sentence for a subtitle. That's the first point. One of our common weakness, a common weakness as Christians, we have this common weakness that our flesh, our sinful nature uses to oppose the fruit of the Spirit that is moving us towards loving and serving one another. Then, he also teaches how to deal with this weakness. And finally, he teaches to us how does it look like to have victory in the Spirit in this area of our lives. And we're going to understand more what I'm saying as we look at these verses. So first, Paul is speaking to us about this common weakness. All of us as Christians have this common weakness that the flesh or our flesh uses to oppose the fruit of the Spirit that is moving us towards serving and loving one another. I confess that when I read verse 26 the first time, I moved quickly to chapter 6 without realizing of how important is what Paul is saying here in verse 26. It's very practical. Um, As some of my brothers point out, I love John Stott. John Stott was really helpful in making me see some things that are here. Very important for our soul searching to check what is going on in our souls. And these are three words that are in this verse. One is exposing something is that common weakness that all Christians have and the other two words are manifestations of this weakness what is the common weakness he says let us not become conceited this can be also translated as let us not become become boastful or proud or desirous of vain glory or vanaglorious." glorious Paul is warning us Christians against vanity or vanaglory, seeking the glory that does not belong to us. Vainglory, in my understanding, is something like an incorrect assessment of ourselves. We look at ourselves and we see something that is not really there. We believe that we are something that we are not. In fact, this is basically the ancient temptation. Genesis 3, 5. This is Satan speaking to Adam and Eve. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. How was the, how was the serpent or Satan tempting Adam and Eve if that they would be something that they actually could never be. Be like God. And that was what motivated Adam and Eve to take the fruit. The temptation of vanaglory or vainglory. And Paul is warning us against this challenge that we all have. We all struggle with pride. And sometimes when we say Oh, no, I don't have that struggle. That might be a sign that you have it. That you actually are prideful of being humble. I used to have a friend who was an international student who would come to me and say, Enrique, am I humble? Am I humble? And she was expecting me to say, Yes, you are very humble. You are very humble. We all struggle with pride. And here... Paul sees this as the root of the problem that we have in our interactions with others. You see, he said, let us not become conceited or prideful. And then he says two things that happened as a result of that. One is provoking one another, and the other one is envying one another. Why we provoke one another when we are prideful? Because we want to prove to others that we are better than them. We want to prove ourselves, and we want to prove to others that we are better than them. And we basically challenge others by telling them, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, or this is what I've done, and we are provoking one another. So this is why he's saying, he's connecting this. He's saying, do not become conceited, then provoking one another. And the other thing that happens when you um, struggle with pride as we all struggle is that we end end envying one another because pride is connected with us comparing ourselves with others we start to compare ourselves who we are with what others are and what we'll find so often is that others have things talents gifts advantages that we don't have and that produced in us envy. Envy. Now here Paul is telling us in verse, 20, in verse 26 that this is, this is, as I said before, one of the wickedness that our sinful nature is using us to prevent us to do what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. The Holy Spirit wants us to serve and love one another. But our pride that move us to provoke one another distance us from others. That move us to envy others distance us from others. And what we end doing is no serving and no loving our neighbors. Then Paul teaches to us here how we deal with this weakness. And you find this in verses Three and four. You are going to see that I'm going to be jumping in these verses, and I'm going to read them in order. But you will see uh, sense on what we are reading as we do it. So, verse three says this: For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is basically an invitation of doing a right assessment of who you are. Remember I said, vainglory is an incorrect assessment of who you are. So if you think that you are something when you are nothing, you deceive yourself. And this is not to say that we as Christians, as as people created in God's image, are nothing because God has blessed us in so many ways. But this is to say that when we look at our reality and our condition, we should realize that we are in total dependence of God's grace. We have a broken, sinful nature that is in opposition to God since we are born. And we'll die with that broken, sinful nature. And unless the power of the Holy Spirit comes to you, and change your heart and give you new life and carry you, carry you through your life until you die, your destiny will be hell. You will not have eternal life, but you will suffer for an eternity. This is the condition of every single human being in the world. You can be rich, you can be very healthy, you can be very handsome or beautiful. You can be very powerful. You can have all the advantages that you want in life. But the destiny of all human beings is the same. We will face the final judgment. And that, physically speaking, we all die and we all be buried. And the same thing will happen to each one of our bodies, regardless how you live on this earth. So that's the assessment that you have to realize that before God, and compare with others, regardless of what you have, we are nothing. And if we think that we are something that we are not, we end deceiving ourselves. We do a wrong assessment of who we are, and we become prideful. We start to think that we might be better than others because I have this or I have that or I am this or that. so Paul is challenging all of us to do the right assessment of who we are. remember I'm not saying that we have not been blessed by God and that God has not created us in his image. we are something in that sense. but the reality is that we are broken and we need grace in fact As we serve, we continue to be instruments of God in great need of his grace every single day of our lives. Then verse four says, But let each of each one of test so but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and knowing his neighbour. So in other words, what Paul is saying is stop comparing yourself with others. And you test your own works. And the conclusion for every single believer should be the same. That we can boast in only in one thing. And this is in Jesus Christ alone. There is only one thing that we can boast about. And that's that Jesus loved us. That Jesus gave his life for us. And that he is the savior. Therefore, when we are boasting in Jesus, we are not boasting about us being chosen by Jesus, but we are boasting about Jesus. We are giving Jesus all glory and honor, who is the only one who deserves it. So you see Paul here in verses 3 and 4 is addressing the problem that he's talking to you about in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Instead, do this. Do the right assessment of yourself. Realize that you are as needed, as needed of grace as anyone else, and therefore all glory be to God. Now, how does it look like to have the victory of the Spirit in this area of our life? Meaning this area of our life is in terms of loving and serving one another. You will see the clear connection between um, verse um, 13 and verse 2 when you look at what he says here. Verse 13 of chapter 5 says, For for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, verse 2 gives you a principle for all Christians as well, which is in a sense saying something very similar to what he says in verses 13 and 14. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you see the similarities of these two concepts? First, in verse 13, Paul tells you that you need to Through love, serve one another. And in verse 2, it says, bear one another's burden, which is basically the same. Serve is bearing one another's burden. Is looking at the need of those that are around you and bearing their burdens, walking alongside them and helping them out with their burdens. And one thing happens when you do that. First, in verse 14, say, says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilling that word. Here in verse 2, Paul says, so fulfill the law of Christ. So this is the call for every believer, but at the same time, is a fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Remember, the Holy Spirit... Or the desires of the Holy Spirit are against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. The spirit wants you to bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters in Christ. But your flesh is against that. Then let's look at what he says in verse 1. Verse 1 is basically one example. Paul is giving you one example of how you bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters. Now, when Paul is referring to burden one another's burdens, he's referring to all kinds of burdens, physical, spiritual, emotional. In other words, be there for your brother and sister when he needs you and help him in his time of need to carry on with his burden. But verse 1 speaks about one specific burden, and this is related to, your, or to our holiness. He says, Brother, if anyone is caught in any, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is a way in which we bear the burdens of some of our brothers and sisters. When they are caught in any transgression, means when they fall in any temptation and fall in any sin. What should be our response rather than being conceited, provoking one another, and envious, being judgmental, is to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This word restore in Greek is to put in order or restore to his former former condition. It was used in that, at that time as a doctor will see a patient who has a bone broken and will help him to put the bone back in place. So, who are the spiritual ones? Well, we learned last week that every single believer has the Holy Spirit. So, we all should be spirituals in that sense. But at the same time, commentarians will say that spiritual refers also to maturity spiritual maturity. And a spiritual maturity doesn't refer to being more, uh, experiencing more uh, miraculous works of the Holy Spirit, but in our walk, in our daily walk, in humility, dealing with one another. Here an example of that. How are we supposed to care or restore the one who is burdened? Or has fallen in a transgression, it says in a spirit of gentleness. If you remember the list of the fruits of the Spirit, they were love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. You are moved by the Holy Spirit to, in love, care for that person who has fallen in a transgression. Now, you come to that person also in humility. Remember, let us not become conceited, prideful. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you to be tempted. So you are approaching that person who is in need of restoration but you're coming to that person with a spirit of gentleness, but humility, knowing that you can be tempted in the same way they are tempted. So brothers and sisters, what we're seeing here in front of us is Paul addressing this struggle that is within our hearts. It's the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And the spirit is moving you towards caring, loving, and supporting your brothers and sisters, and your flesh is preventing you from doing so. But we know that where we have, as believers, victory in the Spirit. That the Spirit is going to help us to overcome the work of the flesh that is offering resistance against the work of the Spirit. Yet, This is a challenge for us. It sounds like a command as well. It's the Holy Spirit working through you and in you, but at the same time, He's telling you, you have to work on it. Remember what we said before that, last week, when we read verse 16, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit is the one who is leading you, but we have to do the walking. And we do the walking when we walk in a step with the Holy Spirit, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, through the guidance of His Word, through the guidance of how the Holy Spirit is moving you to love and care for your neighbors. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we Confess how difficult it is for us to overcome our own pride and how difficult it is for us to see those that are around us and love them as you love us. We confess, Lord, that many times we are so self-centered that we are acting more in line with the works of the flesh than in a step with the fruit of the Spirit. We confess, Lord, that we need of your grace and we need of the work of the Spirit in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you will help us not to be conceited, not to provoke one another, not to envy one another, but instead to love one another as Christ loved us. We pray, Lord, that you will help us To bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters. To serve them in love. We know that we cannot do this on our own. But we know that through you and in you, we can do it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.